Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are so excited to get today started with our mom panel. Um, each, well, I guess maybe every other year, we've done it a couple of other times, we invite a few of our fearless moms to share with us their experiences so that moms can learn from their stories. These ladies that are up here with me today are awesome moms, but they want to make sure that you know that they do not think they have it all together. And we remember, we always say at Fearless Mom, if you meet a mom and she has all the answers, don't be friends with her because she's a big fat liar because there's no one who has all the answers, but we know that our experiences, our successes, and our failures are always useful and can help others. And so that's what we're going to do today. But first, we want to welcome in our online moms. If you are watching, if you are listening, remember, whether you're with a group or you're by yourself, you may be by yourself, but you are not alone. There is a group of moms in Austin cheering you on. We've got your back, Mom. We believe in you. We stand side by side with you. We don't know what we're doing either. And I hope that is encouraging to you. So we're going to get started with our questions. Uh, many of you uh, emailed them in. Some of you have given them to your leader and passed them on to us. We're super excited. We can't get to every question, um, but we will do the best we can to help as many moms as possible. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the gift of motherhood. I thank you for the blessings of motherhood. I thank you, God, that you fill in the gaps, not if, but when we fall short. I thank you, God, for these brave moms who are up here to share their experiences today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you use their stories to encourage and equip other moms. We ask right now that you settle our hearts and our minds, that you remove distractions, and that you open our eyes and ears to see and hear what you want us to see and hear today so that we can be the moms that you've created us to be, to grow up these kids, to be the men and women you've created them to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Okay, so to get started, I just want each of you, if you would, to introduce yourself, tell, give us your name, a little bit about your family, and that way we can know where you're coming from. We'll start with you, Deanne. Well, good morning. My name is Deanne Wilson, and I've been married to Russell Wilson for 16 years, and we have a 27-year-old daughter named Kaylee, and a days away 21-year-old named Reed. So as you can see, put the math together, we are a blended family. We actually got married when um, Kaylee just turned 11 and Reed was four. Hi, this is not nerve-wracking at all, but um, <laughs> my name is Sherry Morrow, and thankfully I know some of you. Um, I've got, uh, my husband's name is Corey Morrow, and we've been married 10 years. We have five children. Four boys. That's right. I think you need to repeat that. Some people thought they heard that wrong. Go ahead. It's true. We do have five children. Four of them are boys, the four oldest, and then one baby girl. So our oldest just turned seven. We have a five-year-old twins that are three years old and a one-year-old baby girl. So an underachiever. Thank you. Go ahead. And I'm Ashley Horn. I'm married to Matt Horn. We have three children. I have a fourth grade boy, a first grade boy, and a daughter who is in kindergarten. And so this is my first year where all of my kids are in elementary school. Oh, that's so exciting. And you have Molly the puppy. Oh, and we have a puppy. Yeah, sorry. It Molly. is the cutest puppy in the whole world. So two girls and two boys. <laughs> that's right. I have four. <laughs> yeah. And yes, you have four children. That's good. Throw Molly in there. She might be the easiest right now. Yes, that's awesome. No doubt. That's awesome. So great. Okay, so we're going to answer a lot of questions, and we're going to bounce from mom to mom. And so, but first, I have a question that I think that everyone, we're all in different life stages, um, and uh, we've, um, Deanne and I are empty nesters. Yeah, whoop, whoop. Um, goals. Uh, but we still, we're still moms, and so we come from a different perspective, but we do remember if we really work hard, um, what it was like to have kids in our home. And then these guys have them in their home right now. So I'd like to start because I think that um, we talk a lot about mom being a fountain and your kids are drinking your overflow. And um, I think that what that reminds us to do, ideally, is to take care of ourselves first, which always gets lost in the shuffle. 
So can you tell me how you guys make it a priority? Tell me about your self-care. When I say self-care, I mean mental health, um, uh, physical health, emotional health, and spiritual health. Go ahead, Dan, start with you. Great. I love this question. Um, actually, for me, I am, uh, unfortunately, I do things really well, and then I don't do things well, but I stay the course. I think it's important to just always stay the course um, if you fall off track or anything like that. But for me, I am a morning person. I love the mornings. I love the quiet time of the morning. So that's really where I fuel for the day. I get in God's Word. I spend time in God's Word, and that is what I choose to do and how it works best for me. And then I really work hard on uh, trying to eliminate food slowly but surely that has, this is something that I've been really focusing on probably for several months now in trying to just eliminate the foods that I know that are not good for me. And it's actually been great. I didn't go to the extreme. I just did it little by little. And that's been something that's been really kind of fun actually to do um, at this point in my life. So that's kind of what I do. It's interesting, though, because we don't have children at home, but we still have those same struggles. Because yes. I think self-care is something that we all deal with for our entire lives. So the earlier you can get those good habits, the better. Go ahead, Sherry. Well, I think we all know from Fearless Mom that all of those things that you just mentioned are extremely important. And so we all just do our best at trying to fit all of those in. I think we need to make them a priority, make them non-negotiables, and schedule them in. And like I said, we're going to do the best we can, but we're going to fall off sometimes and we're going to struggle in some areas at times. And so we just reset when we do that and get back, get back on board. And I'll say for me personally, one thing that I do um, that has been life-changing for me because I have little ones that's not only emotionally exhausting, but it's actually very physically demanding. So nap time is sacred. And I actually force myself to do what I call a toes up, where I actually force myself to get in a reclined position where my feet are off the ground in bed. That can even be eating while I'm in bed, watching TV. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'd love to say I'm sitting there reading my Bible every time. That is not what happens, no. <laughs> but it really is important to get your feet elevated and then you really feel like you get a little bit of respite and relaxation. Toes up, I'm putting that in my daily schedule. <laughs> Take a toes up. I am already learning. Go ahead, Ashley. I love a toes up. I'm going to do that too. Because some days I'll realize I haven't sat down all day. You know, how often are we like that? For me, um, unlike Dean, I'm not naturally a morning person, but I've made myself become a morning person. I um, wake up at least an hour before the kids get up so that I can get up, have a quiet time, read, um, read my Bible, drink some coffee, and then I'm like caffeinated and ready for the day. It's not as early. I realized it was a season when I had preschoolers and I had somebody with me every day. I would get up super early. Now that they're in elementary What do you mean school, by super early? I, like in the fours. I would wake up early. I know it's crazy. I knew I that answer, and I knew y'all yeah. would gasp when she said it. <laughs> she set me up. No. But that's what I wanted. You know, I've said that before, but then I, now I realize that was just a season. I don't have to wake up that early in the morning. And that was just so that I could be the best mommy that I could be at that time. Now that they're in elementary school, I have more time during their time that they're in school that I can exercise. So in the morning, I can wake up. I can have my coffee, read my Bible, then I get them off the bus, and then I can go exercise and get on with my day. Because then, I mean, you're going after that. You get a little bit more time, but it goes fast. But, okay, I'm not going, I'm, I've really got to stick to these questions, but I think this brings up a great point, though, Ashley. You got up at, four, I remember her saying, yeah, I got up at 4.30. I'm like, what? Is that safe? Um, you know, <laughs> but she would read her Bible. She knew this is going to help me. And then what time did you put your kids to bed at that stage of your life? Bedtime is a big deal for us. I mean, we are probably 6.30, we start the bedtime routine. Um, you know, and then we're in bed by seven. Still, I have a fourth grader, and we still are that same. I mean, it's more seven, seven thirty now, but that is like for sure. Like last night, we had a late baseball game. I didn't take my two littles because the game started at seven thirty. I knew that that would impact the whole rest of our week. So you kind of have to make choices like that. But bedtime is a big deal. For us. But I, I think sometimes when we hear 4.30, for me, that would mean like, oh, my gosh, you know, you only got, yeah. you know, five hours of sleep. But no, she didn't. 
she went to bed earlier, and that's what worked early. in that yes. season, and it is changing. But anyway, I, sleep is a big deal. We're going to touch on it a little bit more in a minute. But um, okay, so let's go ahead. I'm going to start with you, Sherry. Um, this is a question that we got. I often feel at a loss for proper discipline for my seven and six-year-olds. Besides following through with warnings, timeouts, and removing toys, what are some other ways to discipline children while still parenting with love and respect for each other? It's a great question. Um, okay, yeah, that is a good question. I would say, first of all, what um, I think of whenever you say disciplining with love and respect, I think you don't have to worry about that interfering because I think we discipline because we love and respect Great our sentence. kids. Great sentence. So um, that's first. Also, you mentioned warnings on there, and the kids are six and seven. I think with younger kids especially, we need to be very careful about giving warnings because little kids need things to be black and white. They need very clear, understood boundaries and expectations, and they need to know that when they follow through with those expectations, they're gonna get a positive consequence, and when they don't, they're gonna get a negative one. And by giving a warning when those expectations are already set, I think what we're communicating to our children is you didn't hit the mark, you fell below the bar that we expected of you, but you're not gonna get a positive or negative consequence, which is just confusing when they're still in those training stages, you know, when they're still trying to figure out what they're supposed to do and not do. So um, there are lots of positive and negative consequences you can give for discipline, um, but I think, again, I'll say, the first thing you do when you're gonna discipline is you've gotta be clear on those boundaries, and what we do is we actually make our expectations visible for the whole family to see. So we've put them on a poster. And so everyone knows what's expected. And if they you know, meet the expectation, you can point to it and say, yes, you're doing this, great, positive consequences. If they don't, you can go show it to them on the board and say, this is where you're falling short. You're gonna get a negative consequence. So um, with the little ones, positive uh, consequences are super easy because you know, they really respond to anything. They respond to a great job, high five. They respond to a smile. I mean, if they're close to you, you can even just give them a little squeeze, like, yes, you know, you're doing good. Or um, anything like that. You can also go into more elaborate things and, you know, uh, give toys or food items. Special treats can be positive consequences. Julie's talked about uh, the Smarties, you know, and I've, I've, we've adopted that in our house, too, where you just give a little smarty here and then for someone being smart and making good choices. And we Tell me about your, um, you mentioned one time about a big reward for one of your kids who gets off the bus, it has a good day. Okay. Gets out of the car, has okay, a good day. Okay, yeah. That's so. a great positive, <laughs> it's hilarious. I it's mean, I think true. It so who would have known that tickling was gonna be a great positive consequence that would change our five-year-old forever? So <laughs> it's so true. So. What we started doing, and I don't even know how we got into this, but um, he was having trouble getting his work done at school, and so his teacher said she would put a star in his planner to communicate to me the days that he did complete his work. And so on those days now, when he gets off the bus, I chase him and tickle him until his, all of his big brothers come with their weapons and save him and attack mommy and get mommy off of him. And so he literally now, every day when he gets off the bus, if he's gotten a star, he's putting one foot off of that first step, and he goes, I got a star, oh no, mommy, I got a star, you know. And so that's worked really well. Uh, another thing we do for um, positive reinforcement at our house is we have uh, a star chart. And so it just has little gold stars, and we, um, the way we have it set up, and everyone, you know, does different things at their house, but... It's for exceeding the expectations, so they know that they have to meet the expectations that are lined out, but if they go above and beyond or shoot for the stars. I stop love it. that, yeah. So good. Hashtag so clever. We call it gold star behavior, and they get to get a gold star and put it on their chart when they're working up to a, a big reward. And so our three-year-old, one of our three-year-olds, um, just a couple weeks ago, got to the top of his star what? chart, and one-on-one -on -one time is huge for our kids. So he chose to go with his dad for a whole weekend to work on a bus trip, on a bus tour, and went on stage with his dad and got to do the whole nine yards. And so now all the kids are trying so hard to get those gold stars because they're like, that's what I'm getting next. 
That's so great, though. I think that when it comes to discipline, I think our, our reflex is to think negative consequence. How can I punish them? How can I? But um, I, I think we underestimate the value of the positive. Obviously, we're going to have to use negative. But if you could put more thought into your positive and with your negative, I don't know that it matters as much what it is as it matters that you're just doing it over and over and over again. But those positives can be so valuable. Tickling, it's pretty cheap. You know, and it doesn't involve me like me. I would lose the gold stars. But tickling, I definitely could keep up with that one. That's a great one, a great one. Well, and I think with the negative discipline, you can get creative with that too, depending on what age your kids are. Um, When your kids get old enough, you know, if you – they had mentioned timeouts and and, um, I think removing toys, which is good. Removing the child works too. Um, And I was going to say when they're old enough to write – we just started this in our house and it's working really well is you use writing as a consequence instead of going and playing outside with their you know brothers it's okay you d- how are we supposed to obey you know what Julie tells us swiftly and completely without argument and attitude go write it down because I think you were missing one of those and then you know that that's been working yeah I, I love it I think it's awesome okay and I love I, I love the whole thing and actually I may offer to my kids as a positive consequence um, going on stage with your husband that's great and if we could do that too if y'all know if Corey would mind that'd be awesome we could all you know Background band together dancers. that's great that's a perfect. negative might be mine though going to the dental office <laughs> that might be the negative consequence they might, it might not work the same at my house you're yes. gonna have to go see Dr. Horn Actually, my kids love to go see Dr. Horn. It's true. Yeah. Because he checks their teeth with his LSU football helmet on. But anyway, yes, he thinks it's hilarious, and so do my kids. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to direct this one to you. Um, I find myself getting frustrated and angry with my children. Sometimes they don't listen to me until I yell. Some of these questions came in. We we put them together. Actually, several moms uh, struggle with this. I'm going to just go ahead and say we all do. I don't want to be a yeller. What are some tips and strategies that I can use to keep me from yelling and then instead of yelling? That's good. This is one that I kind of have to keep in check. I can be super even keel, super calm for a long time, and then I have a big kaboom. You know, so it's, um, I realize when I have that kaboom, it's usually because I have not been um, consistent in what my expectations are or allowing them to meet them each time or exceed them. I've been, it's been a slow slipping. And so I have to do a reset for me. And so how I reset is, um, you know, I have Julie in the back of my head and I have I remind myself to remain calm. And so in my head, I say, remove emotion, remove emotion, remove emotion. And it's because I've gotten to that point, like I said, because I've allowed this to happen. So I remain calm. I um, get closer. So my proximity to my child that I'm asking him to do is I actually, and this can be very inconvenient, which is why I usually end up yelling, because I have to stop what I'm doing. Usually it's making dinner or whatever thing, whatever it is, and I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to actually move closer, and I just kind of put a little hand on their arm um, and just say, you know, Logan, I asked you to please put away your toys now, and I just stay there for a second, and it's a soft hand touch. I may want to grab, but it's a soft hand touch because I have removed emotion. And then, um, and so, so what did I say? I, I remain calm. I get closer, and then I be consistent. So I have to be consistent with that because that way I'm. We'll have a pendulum swing. So maybe for a couple of days, just for one whole day, that I am over and over and over and over again stopping what I'm doing to get closer to make sure they're following through. And so it's just, it may be two days, it may be a day, and then I'll see that we kind of slowly move back into where I want us to be, exceeding the expectations of our home. But it it just, it kind of tightens the reins, and then they'll kind of get back into, you know, because we have in our house first-time obedience. So when I ask you to do something, I expect a response. So if I have a request, I want a response, and that response could be, yes, ma'am, I want you to acknowledge what I'm asking you to do, and then do it. So I just kind of notice that really it starts with me and a reset so that I don't allow myself to get to the point where I'm yelling. And then it's kind of like, okay, we're back in a good spot again. And then a few weeks later, I got to do it again. Or the end of the week, I got to do it again. But it's over and over and over again. Yeah, that reset for our children, it's also a reset for ourselves. And I, I, I agree with that. I think, too, going back to the self-care, um, have I gotten enough sleep? 
Have I been eating right? Do I need to exercise? Have I had time for myself? And I know many of you are in stages and you're like, time for myself? What is that? I thought that came with the empty nest. But I think it's so important to start those healthy habits as early as you can. And to say, this is the best thing I can do for my family. And yes, there are seasons when that time is shorter, but there are seasons when if you want that time, you get up at 4.30, but when you realize how important it is, your own physical health, your own emotional health, how it affects the whole family, then you choose to make that a top priority. I look forward to that time. You know, you look forward to it. It's kind of that recharge. 4.30 4.30 a.m., you look forward to that time. Now that it's 5.30. So, now it's 5.30, yeah. which is still super early. But but I do. I remember thinking that about Ashley, and I started doing it. And um, it does make, it, it makes a huge difference. To get, and to be aware of what you're putting in your body. Uh, I can't say that enough. And I am queen of fast food. I love fast food. I love French fries. I love chocolate. Like, that is my LL. That's my love language. And I love it. But I have to remember that it does affect how I feel. I, I can act like it doesn't, but it definitely does. I love time together, but I have to be disciplined about that before I even get to, you know, parenting. So that's awesome. You guys are great. Okay, Deanne. Um, so someone wrote in, as a mom of two daughters, um, um, let's see, I'm seeing in my daughter's relationships comparisons with others, what they have, what they believe. As a mom, I struggle with comparison for t- from time to time. I think we all do. But I can, I can acknowledge when I'm doing it and try to put it aside. But how can I show and tell my daughter she is enough? You have a daughter who um, is very confident. And how did you do that? Well, I, I love this question because I think the comparison thing is so important because I don't think, like you said earlier, there is not any one of us sitting here or watching online that actually probably has this figured out and then enter social media and all of a sudden we have this news feed of people's highlight reels and then we start comparing, our, comparing ourselves to other people. It's very easy to get caught up into that trap of comparison. But what I loved about this question, and I'm not, I don't know exactly word for word what she said, but she said, I struggle with comparison as well. I'm able to acknowledge it and set it aside. But she so desires to want to build that into her child that she is enough. So I think the first thing that we have to do, I'm a big fan of taking emotion out of it, is to step back and look at it and say, I am enough. We have to make sure that we are parenting from a place of being enough, not because of who we are or what we've done, but clearly because we do know the one that does have it all figured out. And when we do that, and when we start parenting from who we are and that we are enough, that will change everything. Because like Julie says, You know, when we have this overflow, our overflow of what we take in and what we do radiates out of us and goes into how we parent our children. The other thing is we have to step back, take emotion out of it, and evaluate, are we in any way creating a comparison culture in our home? So we have to look and communicate with our husbands. We have to say, how are me and my husband communicating? Are we talking about other people? Are we comparing ourselves with other families? That is so huge. Don't underestimate what your children are picking up. Yes. You may not be talking to them, but if you are talking in front of them, whether you are talking about the neighbors, if you're talking about, yeah, your friends, whatever it is, that is a great point. And they can have superhuman hearing sometimes, too. Amazing. There will be times that my husband and I are in the car and we're talking super quietly and we're thinking that they're not listening and then we say something and we mention and and someone chimes in with something and we're like how did you even hear from all the way back there they are always listening they are and so they see what we see they see what we watch when we are engaging with our friends are we comparing our children to their children and all that stuff and this is just information so once we step back take out the emotion then we have the truth. And out of the truth, we can actually then start saying, okay, this is a culture. I'm seeing that this is happening in our home. That's that's great news. No, we don't want to be like that. But the great news is we actually have the information and we can start changing that 
culture and make sure that we don't have that in our home. And it's something that you have to work at uh, forever, all yeah. forever. Time. It, it's it not, not a, oh, go check, away. I got that under control. Right. That it is, will not go away. yes, that is forever. And so I do believe it's self-evaluation, just like the self-care. I, I can't help but go back to that. Can't underestimate just what taking care of yourself does. Just what taking care of your own, you know, uh, tendency to compare all of that, all of that your children are learning from pros and cons. Don't panic, do something about it. If you say that is a weakness of mine, then by golly, you work twice as hard. And I can't say enough about being planted in a local church right there. Because if you want your child to believe he or she is enough, then you make sure you are planted in a place where they are hearing truth from other adults, not just you. And so what we do at our church is we work hard to partner with parents. And so if we're telling you your responsibility is to equip your child to be strong enough to be the only one, then we're going to be teaching that in our kids' ministry. We're going to be teaching that in our student ministry. We are going to empower your child as you know along with you and you want to find a local church that is empowering that is really intentionally teaching your kids scripture and truth because then as parents we're not meant to do it by ourselves i am not enough you know without god i do not have all the answers but i acknowledge that and I partner with a local church who's going to back me up. I think Amen. that's huge. I think that's Amen. huge. And I don't think it's just girls. No. Uh, you have it's a son. Yeah. My fourth grader, you know, one of these pair of shoes that everybody in the whole school had, we talked about it. And I said, you know what? I know and I understand that you love these shoes. You want these shoes, but it's not something that we're choosing to buy for you. If you want them, you can work and save your money. And this was a month-long process. And that's what I heard Deanne and everybody saying is, the greatest thing is opening communication with them. You know, having that communication open because it's a life skill forever. It'll be about the shoes now, the car later, the house then. So just kind of hitting all of these points to think, they understand, is this worth it to me? Is this something I want to work for? Do I want this only because other people want this, or do I really want that? It's just so many life skills wrapped up in it. And I love how that mom said, it's communication. She's aware. So that's awesome. You're already winning, you know? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. I, I think, um, but I, I don't think it's just girls. I think we underestimate the comparison with boys, too. And um, I think, you know, we, we, uh, we put all that on girls. Like, they just care about what they look like. Let, let me tell you something. Boys are very aware, too. And they, I think that is called being human. And what we can do is take a step back. If you've got a newborn or if you are expecting your first kid, take a step back and go, how do I view myself? How do my husband and I communicate about our value for one another? Am I constantly saying in front of my kids, be aware of your own language? And so, man, if your kids are a little bitty, now's the time. Now's the time to say, what are my habits and how do I view myself? Because words are powerful. And when we say to our children things like, um, you know, you are such a hard worker, you're, you're telling them, you know what, you have the ability to create the life you want to live. And I think that goes along with what you said, Sherry. It's just that highlighting the positive. If you create a culture of the positive, it doesn't mean you lower the bar. It doesn't mean that you don't hold the guidelines. It doesn't mean any of those things like Sherry said, but it absolutely is so important to make sure that you are speaking positive and make it a big deal, something that they want to inspire to be. That shooting for the stars. Yeah, I think, I think it's, and, and I do think um, it's like what you said, um, Ashley, is you put it on him. Like Braden wanted those shoes and he was comparing, but you didn't make it a big deal. I totally failed in this area. Um, I made it such a bigger deal and I made it about me one time when Emily wanted, I remember she was in sixth grade, she wanted a coach purse. I panicked. I'm like, she is going to be materialistic. I have not done a good job. She is only going to focus on things, her life. She will never understand her worth. See how I quickly made it about me? I wasn't focusing on our family values. I was focusing on my failure. And so I said, you will never have a coach purse. And instead of putting it on her and going, earn the money, you know, go for it. Teaching a family value, work hard brings reward. I made it about me. I said, you would never have it. My mom was like, I'll get her one. I'm like, no, you won't. She will never have one. And I panicked because I was fearful. Instead of having a direction where I wanted to go, all I could tell you was where I didn't want to go. And so with Ashley, she goes, our family values are hard work. 
you know, responsibility. And she, instead of panicking and making it about her, she said, do I have an opportunity to teach my child a family value? Way to go, Ashley. Where were you when I was panicking about the coach purse? Yeah. It's only from your overflow <laughs> that I was able to do that. I mean, what on earth? Yeah. I Look, I'm sweating thinking about how poorly I handled that. That is terrible. I don't know. I should call him and apologize today. Um, I will. Can somebody remind me to like do that? that. Yeah. She really would like that. She would. Yeah, and she would say, so now what purse are you going to get me? No, I'm kidding. No, but I did. I panicked, and I made it about me, and I'm sorry. There, that counts as my apology. Um, okay, so Sherry, um, since you have 18 children, and um, we're going to go ahead and direct you with this question, and they're all in this stage, actually. I would say, you know, at least two-thirds. Um, how do I get my kids to sleep in their own beds all night long? We got multiple questions, some having a difficult time getting them to stay in their bed right when they put them to bed, others saying they get out of bed and come get in bed with them. I had one of each. Um, so what do you suggest about keeping, having kids stay in their own bed? Great question. Um, I'm going to start by saying whoever submitted those questions, I'm going to pray for you because it is a hard, hard season. It's a hard thing. I remember our twins in particular, um, we had to make the transition from cribs to toddler beds earlier than we wanted to because one of our twins fell out headfirst and knocked himself unconscious. Yeah, mom win. Um, so we went really quickly and um, got toddler beds, and I, they are both two strong-willed blessings, and they're double trouble times two, and I thought we would never survive it. It was a long, long, grueling process, but we are on the other side of it, so I can tell you what we did, and it goes back to um, setting expectations and then disciplining with positive and negative consequences and sticking to it. I mean, that is the most important thing. I think you can make your expectations whatever they want to be. You know, we have different rules during the week and on the weekend, you know, if dad's traveling and they get up in the middle of the night, they're allowed to come crawl in bed with me. Um, you know, you make it whatever you want, but if you've set the expectation of you're going to stay in your bed, you just have to stick to it. There are some other tools that we use that were helpful for us that I highly recommend. Um, one is a tot clock, and it's, um, it's just a little clock that you turn blue, um, indicating that it's time for them to be in their beds, and then you set the time to turn yellow whenever they can get up. And actually, all four of our boys share a room, and they each have a bookshelf, with a little reading light and a basket of toys in their bed. And they know that if that clock is blue, unless someone is dying, I mean, you know, if there, there are exceptions, obviously. But, but for the most part, if that clock is blue, they are to stay in their bed. If they wake up, they can play quietly, they can read a book, or they can play quietly with their basket of toys. Um, so basically, I guess what I'm saying is just Decide what you're gonna, what your expectation is, and just stick to it. Just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, over and over and over and over, and over and over and over and over. And then talk to friends that are also going through it that can, you know, tell you it's gonna be okay. Or friends, more importantly, that have gone through it. That like I can sit here on the other side of it and say we did make it. They do stay in their beds. If you had asked me two years ago if that was gonna happen, I just. I'd, all I could say is that we're rinsing and repeating every single day. <laughs> but it and is. Pray. It's over and over. It, it's not good. And I remember um, Emily was somebody who um, she did not want to sleep. She just never wanted to sleep. <laughs> when she, you know, she liked being in the middle of things when she was a year old, even when she was nine months old. Um, she just wanted to be awake. And so she was alert. Like she was like alert. Wide aware. Wide awake. Ashley yeah. was her babysitter when she was three. Ashley was literally the only babysitter when Emily was three. If I knew they needed to go to bed, Ashley was the only babysitter that could get Emily to bed. Because, boy, Emily, she was, she was good with the babysitter, and she could convince them otherwise. And Ashley knew, like, mm, no, no, not falling for it. But it, it was just because we respected and loved each other. 
But I do remember one thing you did, too. You would put a Hershey's Kiss at the top of the banister. I don't know if y'all remember Julie telling this story. And if they stayed in bed the whole night, they would get that. I don't remember if it was Emily or Joseph. It was Emily. But Joe loves sleeping. He's yes, probably asleep yes, right yes. now. That's true. Joseph is probably taking a nap. still sleeping right now. He <laughs> probably but, is. Um, they would get the Hershey's Kiss. So that positive. And, and that was that just for Emily because Joe didn't have that struggle. I think that's another thing. Um, there's not a set of rules that works for every child because every kid is different. And so I didn't give Joe chocolate because he didn't, and he didn't notice, you know. Um, but I mean, I would have. I probably gave myself some, you know. I'm like, I think it's a family reward, actually. Um, but yes, I, I tried everything. And she just, um, and people would say, only, you know, they cry three nights and then they'll have it down. I'm like, really? Because it's been three years. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? And well, it's just being diligent. It's just setting the expectation. And I think kids know that because here's why I think they know. Because when Joe would wake up in the middle of the night, he would go to bed, but he would wake up in the middle of the night and come and get in bed with us. Guess whose side of the bed he came to? He came to mine because I was so asleep that I didn't notice until the next morning. If Mac woke up, he would say, buddy, go get back in your bed. So he knew. He knew that he, he knew he was quiet enough to come on my side and squish over. Hey, mommy. Hey, mommy. And, and I was oblivious to the whole thing. I slept through the whole thing. I'm sure I moved over. Can I please share your pillow? And, and I, I remember, and then, but he knew. Can I please share your pillow, mama? Excuse me, mama. Yeah, and then, but if Mac heard it, back to bed. I mean, he knew. So uh, he knew who was going to enforce the rules and who may notice two days later. Yeah, that actually goes back to um, something that you've told us before is our kids repeat what we reward. And I know it can be so easy with everything. And sleep is a perfect example. If you're trying to train your kid to stay in that bed and you're just hitting REM sleep and that kid comes up and they want to crawl in bed with you, the easier thing to do is to just say, okay, this time I'll just, just get in bed. Just leave me alone, you know. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure as a mom. It doesn't mean that your kids are not going to ever be sleep trained. It just, what it does mean, though, is that you're delaying the results. You're just, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Do the best you can, but acknowledge it, recognize it, and be intentional about even in those moments that you're so tired and you don't want to do it, remind yourself you're making a choice. I'm going to delay it and get this moment of sleep, which I may, you know, may be okay to choose at that time, or I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to get up and I'm going to address it. Yeah, recognize that you do have a choice there. And sometimes I did. I'm like, yeah, I did notice and I don't care right now. Sometimes but it did that night's it. sleep is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. And you use your wisdom and discernment. I mean, if you're running really low on sleep, that goes back to taking care of yourself. And you know the more, most, and you've got a big day the next day. The most important thing tonight is for mama to get some sleep. And so you know what? You accept that you're going to delay it a little bit, and you let them crawl in bed with you. Do a reset. Go yeah. back to the reset, but don't beat yourself up. But I do, I do honestly believe that um, kids know, and they figure it out. And it's just over and over again. And some kids, it takes longer. It, some kids, it takes longer to learn to read. Some kids, it takes longer to learn to sleep in their own bed. There's actually no difference there. Um, okay, you guys are awesome. And my kids are 21 and 23 and both sleep well <laughs> in their own beds. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ashley, we're going to go to you with this one because I, I know uh, that you have a shy one. Ashley and I are very close friends. She actually was Emily and Joe's babysitter. So all the stories that I tell about Emily and Joe, she actually experienced with me. Thank you, Ashley. And, um, yeah, so then I know her children who are just a step below mine. So how do you teach a shy child to talk or respond to adults? In Pirate Parenting, we talked a lot about empowering your child to say thank you, to order for himself, to embrace responsibility. Um, easier said than done sometimes when you have a shy kid. So can you tell me from your experience? Yes. I have one child that is you know, painfully shy. I constantly, you know, have to kind of prompt him like any situation that we go into. If, if I know he'll have an interaction, you know, or if it's his birthday, you know, there's going to be a lot of people telling you happy birthday. You got to, we're always saying eye contact and speak up, you know, eye contact and speak up. And so um, just, it's that constant reminder for Logan and whoop, for one of my children. And, and for telling him, you know, equipping him. And so it's going to be uncomfortable situations, but um, 
you're going to feel it more, you know? So it's me being okay to just sit there and wait for him to take his time to look him in the eye, say, go ahead and look him up, you know, look him in the eye, and not, I have to control my tongue to not speak for him. That's like what I have to remind myself over and over again, you know, just that, um, you know, prepping him, having him um, order for himself at restaurants always. I love how Julie says that when we eat as a family or wherever going out to eat, um, order for himself, order, you know, um, any any situation like that we've used as an opportunity for him to speak up. Um, where were we? At Pinkberry the other day, you know, order what you want. If you want a sample, you tell him you want the sample. Uh, it's just me, really, it's me biting my tongue and giving him opportunities. And sticking to your gun. And tickets, Legit. Yes. I mean, it is hard because if he doesn't order for himself, he's not going to get, get it. You won't get it. And, and, you, and you have, and it is hard. And we're not trying to change him. We, we're right. not trying to change his personality. We're trying to help him find his voice. Yes. The, we need to teach him this is a safe place for you to speak up. We don't want to minimize that discomfort because if you're not shy, you don't understand what that's like. And so that I was a painfully shy child. I know it's funny, but but I mean, I was. I mean, my mom went to talk to the principal before I changed schools, like so worried about me, but they taught me to find my voice. They taught me that there are safe places for you to learn to speak up and that your voice has value and you can speak up. I remember being so uncomfortable, not wanting people to look at me, not wanting to draw attention to myself. And um, my sisters were both very bold. And um, I, I just think it, it's, I think we validate that. I, I understand that it's uncomfortable, buddy. I see, and that, but I believe that you can do it. So start little. Little bitty, don't make him, you know, don't park across the parking lot and make him walk in by himself, you know, on the first go round, you know. Maybe all he does the first time is he picks out what sprinkles, points to them, start small, and then build up to, and when he does it, just go, I know you felt uncomfortable, but because what you're doing, you're not going to get rid of fear. It, it, you can be, I think, Deanne, you're the one who told Jax, you can be brave and scared at the same time. That's what we have to learn. You're not trying to teach them not to be scared. You're trying to teach them to be brave and scared at the same time. How great. That was scared. brilliant, Deanna. That, Thanks, but, Julie. But it's true. I, I, that's what you're trying. You validate that shyness. That is okay to feel that way. And I love how you say getting them to find their voice. And once they find it, to ha allow them to be confident in it. You know, just to be, you know what, I, I might not have made the best choice, but be confident in the choice that you made and move forward. It's speaking up for toys. It's speaking up for whatever it is. I love that. And that for the boys, being finding your voice and being confident in what your choice was. Yeah, I just think about what Julie tells us, get comfortable with your kids being uncomfortable. That's been a game changer for me because all these things you're talking about can be sometimes just as uncomfortable, if not more, for us as parents to sit back and watch. So it, it is so true. I do think, and it is very difficult for us to watch our kids struggle. And, and if you're not shy and you have a shy child, you respect that that personality type. You respect that that does not come naturally to them. And that's, and I would never say to them that doesn't come naturally for you. I would say, I understand that that makes you uncomfortable, but I believe you can do it. And so you validate, then you separate. You can have that feeling and still act brave. So you separate the action from the feeling. So you validate, you separate, and then you educate. You empower them. You show them first. I, I've taught them how to order. So I show them, then I help them. We order together. Then show them, help them. Then I watch them. I'm right there, but he's doing all the talking. Then I let them. It's a process. Show them, help them, watch them, let them. And you're moving through. You're moving it through. And don't expect. And, and listen, you look for what you can praise. Because those kids Lots are probably also the pleasers. And I think, too, with the shy kid is the emotional words, understanding, getting, giving that the mo emotional vocabulary, you know, just like I'm feeling frustrated right now. Because a lot of times they may not show it, on, you know. That's or they're so not, they're good. They're not yeah. going to act it out. But you can see, like, their eyebrows move or they'll frown or they're feeling frustrated. So helping them understand what they're feeling in the moment, frustrated, happy, angry, scared, you know, whatever, is huge huge for them. And I think that I, I'm just going to learn from my mistakes. I would say, whether it was Emily or Joe, I go, don't be scared of that. They're already scared. 
So validate the fear and say you can be brave at the same time instead of saying don't feel that. And so giving them that emotional vocabulary, validating their emotion, but saying you can still be brave in the midst of that fear. Because after all, isn't that what we're trying to do? <laughs> As fearless moms, we're all afraid that we're not doing it right. But we're trying to be brave be in the midst of the fear. It's finding the fight in spite of the fright, you know. Um, and that rhymed, so you probably want to write it down. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, I think that, and, and we've done some series on emote control. I, I don't know if that's year one or year two. I think it's year two, maybe, emote control or year three. So if you go online and look for those, if you have a kid that's uh, struggling with that, and then just empowering um, kids with a voice, I, I think it's super, super, super important. Um, anything else to add to that, Ash? Yeah, and I will say um, with yours that we're not mentioning his name, um, I have watched the progress, and I'll tell you what happened, same with my shy one, um, is the sister spoke up. Oh, that's so what he I was learned, say. He learned that he didn't have to because sister was always going to speak for him. So when we would see him, um, and then also if you have good friends where your child does feel safe, then you tell them, can you help me with this? Would you go say hey to him where he feels safe, give him the power, and then you have an opportunity to praise. So we work together a lot with our kids. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Just that. He has an older sibling, and he, a lot of you, if you have, you know, multiple children, if you have a shy one, the other one will speak up for them. So, you know, kind of taking that, you know, out of the equation so that you provide more opportunities. And, and, and it yeah. takes time. So, like, when I would talk to your kids, the older one would always answer, and I would go, I love your answer. I want to hear what he says. And then I would wait, and he would just stare at me. <laughs> and I would wait because I knew she was working on that, and so I wanted to partner with her you, in She that. totally pointed that to me. It was so good, so helpful. And I, and I mean, and now, I mean, that buddy, he'll be yelling like if I'm on speakerphone, you know, like maybe from the back of the Suburban, you know, he's got some stuff to say. You know, so don't underestimate. Those kids have opinions. They have opinions, and they have voices. We just have to get it out there. And we don't say, this is what... I understand, you know, or an adult speaks to him, and I use the word, he's shy. What has he just learned? That he's shy and he doesn't have a voice. And so what I do is I just turn and look. That's so good, Julie. I mean, it's, it's just her common sense that always blows me away. I mean, that was just so simple. Thank you, Deanne. You're welcome, Julie. But it's just so simple that, and you don't think that you're saying anything like that. I mean, you just making that statement to them, oh, he's shy, I would never think that I'm placing that on him or her. And so just that simple thing is just, it's And, good, and good it's stuff. not wrong. I mean, I, I, it's not irreparable. You just be aware. Be aware that that was an opportunity. And um, I think, too, this is even for your not shy kids. I mean, not to keep going on this, but never answer for your children. Like I was just singing this, even my ones that are more bold that are more likely to answer because I don't want to be in the interview with them when they are trying to get a job or they're working on their college applications. It's a lot. Are you skill. using 2020 parenting you know, right totally there? Totally am. Stop it. And what were they saying? The number one thing now is that when children are having problems in college, it's their parents that are calling for them. I don't I don't want that to happen. I want my children to learn how to, you know, handle the conflict or to speak up for themselves or, you know, that just goes all down the line that's a life lesson but it starts with me zipping my mouth and not and emailing the, the teacher part. yes and what zipping your mouth and not emailing the teacher yes. you have a fourth grader if your fourth grader didn't understand the homework assignment and he comes home the buddy you better get to school early tomorrow and you go find out what the homework assignment was that's fourth grade fourth grade the kid talks to the teacher period and, and my first grader too like yes. that's it because he is my shy one it's going to be that much more. We should, we're starting to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. You know, if he has something he forgot or it's his responsibility. But yeah, for sure. That's good. Yeah, and, and if you have a kid who's a perfectionist, le allowing them to fail. They panic that they didn't get the homework assignment. And, and we know their tendency, so we're feeling every emotion they're feeling. And so what we do is we validate it. I get it. You're disappointed. And so how are we going to fix it? Let's play it out. What are you going to do? And put it on them. Again, one of our primary family values is assuming responsibility, embracing responsibility. So giving them, see every opportunity as um, every, you know, trauma as an opportunity to teach a family value. I think we can just look at it th that way, empowering our kids. It's amazing what they are capable of doing 
when we allow them to. Okay, Dan, um, I want to move on. I could talk about shy kids and emotions and, you know, volatile kids all day, so we better move on. Um, you have a blended family. Um, it, what can moms do when you find themselves in that situation? What can a stepmom do to build that relationship and that trust with a child that is now in your home? Uh, this is so, so good, and I love it. And as a matter of fact, I will tell you that I absolutely love the fact that I get to be Reed Wilson's stepmom. He's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, and I love that I get to be his stepmom, but I can tell you it wasn't on my bucket list to be a divorced mom and a single mom. I didn't have that checked off. It was not my desire. And so um, I think the reality of becoming a stepmom, just need to back, back up a little bit about me, is that I actually came out of a home where my parents were divorced, and I actually had to navigate as the child um, step relationships. So both of my parents got remarried, and so I was able to see what worked really well and what didn't work well from the child's perspective. And so then when I was a single mom, before I became a stepmom, uh, Kaylee actually had a stepmom. So she was in a situation where her biological father remarried. And um, here's the deal. Again, I'm all, uh, take out the emotion. When divorce became a reality, I knew that the reality of someone else stepping into my child's life was very likely. And so when that became a reality and somebody did, I had to step back and say, what is my desire for my child? And how can I best suit what's best for my child? And so that's when I, the reality is, I want the stepmom to love my child. And so I looked at it, was like, okay, here's somebody that's going to be a part of my life that I didn't choose or not choose or whatever. It, that's irrelevant. It's a reality. And so I had a decision to make, and so it was very important for me to make sure that Kaylee never felt like she had to choose. And I wanted that stepmom to know that I appreciated her, and I know that you're going to be a part of her life, and so I was not going to badmouth her in front of my daughter because I loved my daughter and I wanted it to be the best situation for her. So fast forward, now I'm a stepmom and it's the same thing. I remembered what it was like. And so I never ever wanted to take that responsibility or role of being um, the mom. Reed has a mom that loves him very much, is very involved in his life. And so I wanted to make sure that she knew that I knew that and that I took it very seriously, but he was four, and he was gonna be with me half the time, and so I'm gonna have him a part of my life. So I reached out and asked her if she wanted to go to lunch and um, ask me any question. And of course, we didn't talk about their relationship <laughs> in a marriage and our relationship. That wasn't on the table. It That's was just some healthy boundaries right there. Yeah. Good God. It Good. was just more about her getting to know me and telling her that I'm not here to uh, replace you. I respect you, you are the mom, I'm the stepmom, and I'm not gonna do anything to try to um, not honor that. It's so logical, but you know, it, and it, it applies to what we've said about many other things. It wasn't about you. It, when you become a mom, it becomes about your children. And yes, I have to take care of myself and recognize that my children are drinking my overflow, but when it comes to the real decisions, it's about what's best for them. And so you put yourself aside, your insecurities, your, your fears, whatever, and you say, what is the best thing for my child? And that's it. I had to walk confidently in the fact that, and knowing because I was building trust with my daughter by having a relationship with her, having fun, building trust, decision and interaction by interaction, I had to walk confidently in knowing that she knows that I'm her mother. She knows that I'm her mother and I'm not going to set up a competition between the stepmom. And so I never went down that road. I allowed her to love her or I'm, I'm just, she was great. I mean, quite frankly, she was awesome and she loved loved Kaylee, and I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that. But you, you had it from both perspectives. You, you had Kaylee had a stepmom, and you were Reed's step, you are Reed's stepmom, and so getting to see it, but in both situations, it wasn't about you. You said, what is the best for the child? So if you do find yourself um, in a divorce situation, particularly if it's not one that you chose, but you have children, then our responsibility as the adult in the relationship is to say, what is best for the child? And I think uh, another thing that I was going to say is here's what's important is that 
because I was a child that came out of a divorced family, I realized as the child that there's nothing comfortable about it. There's nothing comfortable as a child to see your parents step into a relationship with someone else and somebody else fill that role that you're used to your parent filling. And so you have to identify and notice and realize that when, when I became a stepmom, that that was going to be uncomfortable for Reed. And, and so I had to recognize that, but it's still so important once you recognize that to make sure that Reed knew that I loved, respected, and honored his dad and his father. And so, and I honor and respect his mother. So I had to absolutely build this. I didn't change what we did do, but it is uncomfortable for them. But it still, it doesn't change. And so we would play and we would laugh and we would do things as a family because I knew he was uncomfortable. So that's the more we did that. That's um, so great. And you were very intentional about it. You knew this was uncomfortable for him, but what can I do as the adult in this situation? It's not about me and how I feel. It is about what is best for the child, which is basically fearless parenting. You know, it's about doing what is best, whether it's uncomfortable for me or that it's uncomfortable for the child, but it's seeing that long-term perspective. Um, I love that. We, we got, we're out of time, but I, I can't help. I want to address this last question real quick, and I'll address it myself, and you guys feel free to chime in. How does someone find affordable counseling? whether it is for marriage or family or kids. We talk a lot about your own emotional health, your own mental health, and embracing the responsibility. If you need help, get help. My daughter will tell you she studies, um, uh, she's studying sociology, and her emphasis right now is mental health, and she just says, everyone should get it, Mom. It's not just people who think they need it. Everybody needs counseling. You know, she's such a believer in it, and in our country, we don't do a great job of making it available to everyone. But I can tell you this. Um, we believe in good counseling. And so if you are in Austin um, and watching or listening, or if you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I would like to look into that, then do it. Call the church, um, email the church, and say, what, do, what is my next step? Go ahead and take that next step. Because what a lot of counselors will do is they have partnerships with churches, or they will work with you. Say, this is what I am, uh, this is what I can do. A lot of them will say, do you take insurance? And they may say, we, we don't file insurance. Doesn't mean your insurance won't cover it. That means you have to file it yourself. But I know um, Dr. Nicole at Hyde Park Council Center, I know that they will help you fill out the forms. They will help you do that. So it is worth doing. It may take a little more work on your part, but it is worth it. And then I know that we um, also work with the Timothy Center. Um, Dr. Myers has come to talk, and he they actually have different levels. They do take some insurance companies, but you can say to them, this is what I can afford, and this is what I, I know that we need this. Can you help me? If you ask those counseling centers, they will work with you, and they will help you get the help that you need. Um, and then sometimes maybe it's just an appointment with um, one of the pastors on staff. Sometimes it may just be a conversation, but ask for help. Step out. You're not alone, uh, particularly, you know, if it's your own mental health, if you're struggling with, um, you know, depression, anxiety, you're thinking, is this normal? Ask. Ask a professional. Um, Hyde Park Counseling Center, um, the Timothy Center for children, for teenagers. For there, there's so many counselors that want to work with you. So ask for help. And and yes, it, it is it is expensive, um, but it's an investment. So you will end up paying something, um, but it is it's an investment, and, and you you will figure out how to make it work. Um, I know that we talk all the time, yes, even date nights. You know, it's expensive, but it's a priority because I'm going to invest in my marriage. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive, but sometimes, I mean, you, you know, you have um, children, you got to pay for a babysitter. Yes, it's an investment, but you just decide what am I going to invest in? What am I going to invest in? Something else may have to go, but you work with your spouse, work with um, your budget, and you figure out what is important to me. That's what I'm going to pour into, um, and again, Speak up. If you, if you don't know, speak up to your small group. Speak up to a friend. Speak up to a mentor and say, I, I think I need help. And, and speak it out loud. There is no shame in needing help. There is no shame in needing help. So um, thank you guys so much. I think that we all, I feel like, you know, number one, I'm going to shoot for the stars. 
I'm going to continue to empower my children. I love, um, I, you guys had so much to add. Thank you guys so, so much. Um, and I wish we could keep on going. I have another question. I'm going to stop right, real quick, real quick. Okay, real quick, sorry. And I mean, think you can answer super fast. Um, what is your favorite date night? Favorite date night. Go ahead, real fast. Cho. We Cho. Cho all the time. Cho, never been there, new date night. We got to do better at this because really my favorite date night is grilling at home and watching something together. So we don't go out, but we make a, a focus on doing that. Hashtag together. empty nest. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We do the same thing. It looks different with five little kids at home. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys don't grill and stay at home for date night? No. Hashtag empty nest. Ashley. And we just love to try new restaurants. So different. We pop around. We don't have a one spot. We just love to try different, different places. Different places, different restaurants. And I will tell you that um, on my birthday last week, my favorite thing, Mac ordered P.F. Chang's fried rice, and he went and got it, and I ate it in my pajamas. <laughs> that is my favorite thing in the whole world. Okay, so let's pray. Those are all awesome. Thank you so much. And, yes, different stages. Goals, right? Empty nest. Come on, nuts on the empty nest. It is awesome. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word that guides us. We thank you for the church that equips us. We thank you, God, that you have put people around us to cheer us on. You've given us these children. You've given us these blessings, these responsibilities, and you will fill in the gaps for us. We thank you that we can come to you with such confidence. God, I ask right now that you encourage every mother listening, every mother watching, that you've got her back and that you want her to be all that you've created her to be so that she can raise these kids to be who you created them to be. You are good. You love us. You are for us, and we are grateful to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen.